0: you're listening to a sermon from Tyler Christian Fellowship in Tyler, Texas, find us on the web at tcftyler.com or send us an email, tcftyler at gmail.com. We're going to watch a short video uh, that's kind of an intro and then uh, we'll uh, welcome Carlton.
1: East Texas is a beautiful place, full of pine trees, lakes, historic districts, and welcoming communities. It's the belt buckle of the Bible Belt. East Texas is unlike anywhere else. However, as I walk down these tracks, I'm reminded that hidden on both sides of them are real people that face real issues. Things like homelessness, sex trafficking, fatherlessness, and poverty plague our community. With so much going on, one can begin to feel trapped, lost, full of despair, and like there's no way out. Here at the Venturing Alliance, we seek to be a part of the solution to help and heal the hurts in our community. We want to mobilize godly people into the lives of kids and families to provide tangible help and eternal hope. We do this best through our three programmatic ministries. The first program is the Boys and Girls Club of East Texas. This is our after school program, which is in 18 different locations in Tyler, Whitehouse and Bullard, where we have the privilege of serving over 1,200 kids on a daily basis.
2: We're placing people directly into the lives of these kids and families Um, to speak identity, to speak truth. This may be the only place that a child comes to that day where they feel safe. Um, Statistics actually show that four out of the nine loving adults that a child says um, are involved in their life are actually a Boys and Girls Club staff member which is just mind blowing to me. And so the fact that we get to meet these students in this specific place after school at a time where they could be involved in lots of things that they shouldn't be, um, we get to intercede on behalf of not only the school but also the parents and kind of bridge the gap between um, what the school does and what the parents do at home. And we're that place right in the middle where we get to speak life and truth into these kids. Um, And above all of that, um, our goal is that we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to these students. Um, And so we specifically do that through how we interact with them, how our program flows, and also through Bible studies that we do on a regular basis. And so I absolutely love the partnerships that we have with the school district, as well as coming alongside these parents and providing um, an incredible after-school experience.
1: The next program is Rose City Summer Camps, where we see over 150 college and high school students serve over 550 kids every day for 10 weeks in the summer. I've had the opportunity
2: to work with Rose City for four years and to see the growth that Rose City's had is amazing. We've had the opportunity to get to dive in with Tyler ISD and get to build this awesome relationship and see how much they care for the same things we care for in Rose City and that is to advance these kids physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Um, and We do that through hiring incredible summer staff who come here to Tyler to invest in these kids um, for lifelong ministry for them and for the kids. It is so cool to get to the end of summer and see what these kids have learned about the gospel and seeing how much they grow in their faith um, and know that their identity is found in Christ.
1: Our final program is Gospel Village, where there are over 200 mutually transforming relationships taking place all over the area between godly mentors from over 30 different churches and kids from various backgrounds. I love leading Gospel Village. This ministry allows godly men and women from local area churches to impact the next generation along with their families as well kids like Keith, Z and J, who have challenging life circumstances their stories have forever been impacted by walking in relationship with their mentors are you ready to pin your own story and become a mentor? go beyond the local walls of your church and make an impact? Gospel Village has the pen, the pad, and the resources to make that happen. Come join us. Our hope is to represent the mosaic of the body of Christ as we seek transformation in the hearts and minds of people in East Texas and erase the lines divide us.
0: Awesome. Let's give uh, Carlton a good welcome this morning to so comes Share with us. Yeah, that one right there is good.
1: Testing, testing. Go. Good morning, Uncle good, Joe. Good, Hey, man. <laughs> so do you, you want to comment on the video at all before we move on? Yeah, I mean, wow. What a, what a, I, I haven't, I, I've watched it once, but I hadn't watched it recently. What an awesome thing God is doing in yeah. our community. Yeah. Amen? Yeah,
0: yeah, amen. Yeah, yeah,
1: it's really great to see that. So, yeah. And there's several
0: in our community that are involved in some of the programs, right? Uh, yeah. I know Emily is mentoring. Sure,
1: Emily is mentoring right now. And uh, you come to the Walls to Bridges video, yes. yeah. and uh, there's just a lot of things. I think going Becky on.
0: and uh, and Jimmy uh, Burton um, hosted uh, one of the kids that were here to volunteer. Absolutely,
1: for, yeah. absolutely, so, yeah. mm-hmm. through Rose City Summer Camp.
0: So the other thing that uh, Carlton does that was not on the video is he is the uh, uh, director of Visionary, the leader of, I
1: don't know, um,
0: the the uh, brain behind uh, Walster, organizer organizer of Walls to Bridges. <laughs> Uh, which is an uh, organization to bring uh, rec- racial uh, reconciliation and develop friendships uh, across uh, racial and cultural lines uh, in Tyler. And uh, I know that um, Carlton and I both uh, think um, that all you got to do is get the body of Christ together That's it. You know, and begin to work together and, and live together and, uh, and share you know, common experiences together, um, share meals together uh, and things like that. Uh, and that's the way that God addresses in a really uh, um, effective way um, the differences that are between us and the walls that we have a tendency to, to put up between us. Do you want to comment on the walls? To yeah, I,
1: I think uh, a lot of people talk about unity in our community and racial reconciliation. And I just feel like um, <clears throat> it, is, it is not something to be accomplished, but a relationship to be had. That's good. And uh, God calls us to biblical uh, quantania is the word, fellowship, and so once we do that and we get a chance to know each other and be in relationship with each other, then uh, our preconceived notions dissipate and we're able to participate in a relationship with one another as we view each other as made in the imago Dei, the image of God, that that all of us have extreme worth and value. Nobody is more important than the other person. In fact, we're all in desperate need of a loving Savior who came to down the cross for our sins.
0: Good. So um, tell us how you got involved uh, with uh, Mentoring Alliance and the work that you're doing here.
1: Thank you. Yeah, so I went to college at Texas College. Yeah, I know some people (laughs) went to Texas College. (laughs) Went to Texas College about 20 years ago. Oh, the gray hair is there. Uh, And uh, left college with a degree, uh, but also with some hurt because of my experience in Tyler, Texas. I I saw a lot of just division when I was here. And I longed to do something about it, but never knew what I could do. And so after college, I got a chance to teach school and work as a youth pastor and go to seminary. But then also I worked at a local nonprofit in Dallas. And uh, it just so happened that Grace and Green Acres were thinking about doing some of the same ministry work that we were doing in Dallas and um, came down to visit us and learn from us. Uh, Fast forward through that relationship, I began to hear about their vision for wanting to change Tyler and let God use them as an instrument to do that. And I kind of put that together with a vision that God has given me and um, shared a vision of what would it be like if the church would come together, really be John 17, that we would be a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-generational movement of God's people that will work together, worship together, witness together, and walk together for his glory, for the good of this city. (laughs) And uh, amen, right?
0: Yeah. Y'all can talk back to him. He's used (laughs) to having people talk back. (laughs) In fact, he needs it. He's he's not going to be able to say anything if we can't talk back to him.
1: So I I shared that with the young ladies that came to visit, and they were just silenced. And I thought I offended them. And uh, so I was like, man, there I go again saying something big. So about three months later, I got an email from one of the young ladies saying, we're doing something like what you're saying. We'd love for you to come and work with us. Can you come do it? So I, I came four years ago with my wife and family, and it's been really good. Tell us about your wife and family. Yes. Uh, Wow. My queen is in the back. My lovely (laughs) wife, Danita. We just celebrated 15 years of marriage. (laughs) It was funny. um, I had a friend take his wife to France. And also, Uncle Joe took his wife overseas as well. So I'm like, man, you put a lot of pressure on me. (laughs) So I was like, yeah, we'll go to Dallas. <laughs> so see a cowboy, that, which, yeah. which was awesome to be without the kids i mean i mean it was just crazy to do that so my wife denita 15 years and then i have an older son uh my oldest son is 13 that's lj back there and i have one that just kind of passed out that's ezra he's two so we have six kids uh four boys two girls we have a two-year-old a four-year-old a six-year-old uh, an eight year old, a nine year old, and a, th- oh no, he's 10, 10 now, 10 year old, and a 13 year old. And they just awesome kids. There's never a dull moment. And uh, we, we just thank the Lord for our, our journey on a daily basis. So.
0: Okay, so uh, tell us how we can get involved in, uh, in the work that y'all are doing.
1: Absolutely. College. So as you guys know, the Mentoring Alliance is all about mobilizing godly people into the lives of kids and family um, <clears throat> through our community. And we do that through our three different programs, the Boys and Girls Club After School, where we serve kids um, from 3 to 6 every day. Uh, we also have a summer camp, and then we have um, the mentoring program. So there's various ways to be involved. Um, for some of you guys who um, would love uh, not a full-time work, um, maybe you want to kind of do something a uh, short time before you have to pick up your kids from 3 to 6 every day, you can do that with us. There's opportunity for that. We're hiring for that, and you can get paid for it. Also, in the summer, there's the same opportunity to be summer camp counselors. If you're in high school, uh, all the way, if you're in, in 11th grade and 18, all the way up to college students and beyond, we also can give you a summer internship with us. Some of you guys say, I can't work for you. I got my own job and my own things. But God has really blessed you to maybe have a home where you have some extra rooms because you're an empty nester. We have about 100 kids that come here in the summer. Some missionaries to work with some of our kids in the community. And so maybe you can be a host home for them. And uh, that just involves you having a, a bed for somebody to stay and provide meal once a week for them, and and, and you're good. And we could talk about some more details if you're interested in that in the back. We need about 40 people to say yes to that, and so that'd be great. And then also, our biggest need is for men, um, men and women who will say, follow me as I follow Christ, and who will walk in relationship with a young person in their family from where they are to where God wants them to be. And so um, we need mentors. And uh, for all of this, we ask, our win today will be for you to come to an orientation where we'll give you a free meal. Uh, For you guys that are married, you can bring your wife. It can be a date night. For you guys that are single, you can come meet a date, potentially. You know, and so you can just come. It's the first Tuesday of every month. We got one coming up this Tuesday. And then we're going to do a special one for this, this group. So if you can't make the one this Tuesday, we'll have one two Tuesdays from now. Again, you can find out more about that at the booth. But uh, that will be our hope. You come and learn about it. And it's non-committal, free meal, date night, or potentially meet your date. That's the deal. And where is it? it oh, over at the Boys and Girls Club of East Texas, about 10 minutes from here. Uh, I have the address. But you just Google Boys and Girls Club of East Texas uh, right down the street over there by the zoo. So that's okay. the landmark.
0: Good. Thanks, Carlton. Thank you so much. Love you, bud. This morning I wanted to uh, share a message uh, continuing in our series, Lighter of the World, and um, the uh, message is from Luke chapter 9, uh, verses 10 through 17, so I'm going to read it, and then we'll go back and talk about it uh, just a little bit. Uh, Luke chapter 9, verses uh, 10 through 17, actually, 12 through 17, no, 10 through 17. Uh, On their return, the apostles told him uh, what they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. Now, what what he's, they're talking about on the return, Jesus had taken his disciples uh, kind of aside, and he commissioned them to do what he was doing. Now, this is um, second half of the book of Luke. Uh, this whole part uh, section is Jesus heading back to Jerusalem. He's been teaching in the northern part of the, uh, of the country um, for about two years now, uh, and now he's making his way back to Jerusalem where he is going to be... Um, have the triumphal entry, he's going to have the last supper, he's going to be arrested, crucified, um, p- uh, put to death, uh, and then he's going to rise again. So this is, this is kind of like, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the moment that he's been waiting for. He's heading back to Jerusalem. He commissioned his disciples to go out to all the uh, communities two by two, uh, and they came back and they were, um, they were telling him everything that they had done, rejoicing. Um, And he wanted to take them aside to uh, just to kind of have a little breather, you know. But it says when the crowds learned it, they followed him and they welcomed, and Jesus and the disciples welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place." But he said to them, I tried to do this in red red letters. Obviously, this didn't work very well. But uh, Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and to buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing over them. And then he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples and set, to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And there was left over, uh, and, and what was left over was picked up and 12 baskets of broken pieces. Um, Heavenly Father, bless your word to us today. I pray, Lord, that this would not just be a, a story that we've heard many times before, Uh, but a charge to us today, Lord, of what you want us to do, what you're calling us to do, what you're empowering us to do, Lord, what this narrow window of opportunity that presents itself before us, Lord, um, that is the season of the work of the Lord uh, that you've given us the privilege of participating in. Uh, Help us, Lord, to be uh, charged and energized by your word, instructed by it, and uh, we just thank you for it in Jesus' name. So there's three things that the uh, disciples, when the disciples said, send the crowd away, there's three things uh, that are revealed. Um, The first is the lack of understanding of the character and nature of God. The second is the lack of understanding of the opportunity of the moment. And the third is the lack of understanding of the nature of spiritual power. So I want to look at each one of those things uh, in particular. Now, I want to say this about this story. This is very understandable. What the disciples do, almost every time the disciples say something or do something, we ought to be able to put ourselves in in that person's place and say, if I was there, there's a good chance that that would have been my reaction too. Amen? Now, I know we have the Holy Spirit, and I know that we're looking at it with 20-20 hindsight. Nevertheless, opportunities present themselves to us all the time, and many times we are very similar uh, in our reaction to um, to what the disciples' uh, reaction was, so the first one is a lack of understanding of the character and nature of God. James chapter two verses fifteen and sixteen says, um, "If a brother uh, is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that that And now I, I love the book of James, but the book of James has some stuff in it that is like, it's like in your face. It's like if you're going to say it, you have to live it, right? Our, our um, uh, behavior should reflect the character and the nature of God, not just human nature and human uh, character, amen? I mean, if I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, there ought to be something different about me. There ought to be something different about my lifestyle. Not just in the things that I'm, you know, able to overcome and able to, you know, to do, but the things that I'm able to offer to other people. If I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, there ought to be something different about me. I think we all believe that. We don't always live up to that. James says, if a brother is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? God's character is revealed in the believers' conduct. Teaching and healing are one thing, but they were what were they thinking? Or were they thinking about demonstrating the kingdom of God uh, by miraculously supplying the practical needs of these people. Now, they didn't ask for this. In fact, Jesus didn't ask for this. Jesus apparently had other plans for the disciples because he was pulling them aside for them to have just a little breather, you know? But the crowd was asking for this. And the crowd were pressing around him. Now listen, have you ever been in a crowd of 5,000 people? That's a big crowd. I mean, I've been in several crowds lately that are several hundred people, and that's a big crowd, but I'm talking about 5,000 people in the days before air conditioning, in the days before PAs, in the days before all of public transport and all of that. We're talking about 5,000 people who have gathered, and the, the thing that they've gathered for is Jesus. They came for him. And they, when they heard where he was, they went. And why did they go? They went because he was healing people. They went because he was delivering people. He was doing miraculous things. That's enough to draw a crowd. But they also came and stayed because of his teaching. And it said that at the beginning, at the beginning of this verse, set of verses, it says that he was telling them about the kingdom of God. It's his favorite subject, and not just to talk about, but to demonstrate, because all of us hear a lot of things, and we're just like, oh, that's a great idea, or that would be awesome if that's the way that it was, and he's like, no, it's here, it's now. That's what he wants. He wants an immediacy, and so he's he's teaching them, and they're hanging around, barely able to hear, 5,000 people. Can you imagine how difficult it would be to hear, and they're hanging on his every word, and they're listening to him. And people are coming forward with lifelong illnesses, and he's touching them, and he's healing them, and it gets late. Now, I know like when I go to a you know, football game or a baseball game or something like that, and it gets in the late innings. What are you thinking about in the late innings? I think I've seen everything I need to see. I'm fixing to head to my car and beat the crowd, Right? But these people are staying. There's 5,000 of them and they don't seem to be like filtering away. And so the the apostles are looking at it and they're looking at the practical instead of looking at the spiritual. There must have been something that was going on that day to hold the attention of 5,000 people. This must have been some kind of an experience, some kind of a really unique gathering that 5,000 of them were sticking. And they were holding on, but the disciples look at the whole thing, and what are they thinking? They're thinking practically. Now, in their mind, they're thinking compassionately. You know, these people are going to be hungry. You know, they're not going to leave until you dismiss them. So why don't you just send them away, send them to their homes so that they can eat? God's character is one of mercy. And Jesus was moved with compassion, not just for people, but for crowds as well. Jesus has the capacity, and he wants to give us the capacity not to be moved just by an immediate need, but to look at the the group and have compassion on the whole group. And he was moved with compassion for crowds. And the disciples say, send them away. And Jesus answers them. He says, you give them something to eat. Now, as a pastor, I can tell you, There is oftentimes something to eat when I say, I don't have it, Lord. I don't have it. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the the power. I don't have the provision. I can can list the things as long as your arm of the things that I don't have. But Jesus is hearing this, and he wants to hear this. That's a King of Queens reference, if you haven't heard that before. Uh, he's here. It's not? What is it? Seinfeld? Oh, that's the devil wears Prada. Okay, rabbit trail. Just kidding. I ask her for help, so. He's hearing this, and he wants to hear this, Right? He wants the disciples to be looking to him. Just like the crowd is looking to him and expecting miracles, he wants the apostles to be. But look, they're used to this. This is their job. And not only that, but they're tired. So they're not really thinking straight. So what is really in their hearts is coming out right now. It's just like, let's be done with this. We've done our deal, and let's be done with this. And Jesus says to them the thing that he often says, you give them something to eat. You be the source. You don't look at what you have, and you don't look at what you can do. You look at me like they're looking at me. You expect miracles out of me like they're expecting miracles out of me. He put them between him. He put the the disciples between him and the crowd. And that's the position that we're in, guys. There's a great amount of love that God has for the multitude. He's going to do it through his people. Sticking with me? Great amount of provision that God has for people. He's going to do it through his people. There's a great amount of care and love and wisdom that he wants to impart to people, that he wants to go to this world, and he has willingly limited himself to people like us. And he understands our limitations. But they look at it as a problem. He looks at it as an opportunity. The second one is they lack understanding of the opportunity of the moment. Last night, um, I like to grill. I like to grill all the time, but especially during the fall and and the winter. You know, in days like this, it's just like my favorite spot is the patio. I don't know about you, but I just love the smell of smoke on the patio. You know, You you just sit there, cool, mild temperatures. You know, the mosquitoes have pretty much been dealt with. And there's a nice, you know, supper, you know, going that you can almost taste as you, as you smell it. And you're sitting there, and I, and I just love that. So I was sitting out on the patio last night cooking, and I had watched Mark Skirdo. I don't know if you guys watch Mark, Mark Scurto, um, and uh, he's the weather guy at uh, KLTV. And he was saying there's going to be a storm in the middle of the night. And so after I got done, I had to pack up the grill, put the grill up. I couldn't leave the grill sitting out on the patio like I normally do. Why? Because nothing ras- rusts faster than a, than a grill. That, something about the, the heat and the metal makes it really susceptible to rust, and I didn't want to ruin my, my grill, so I parked it up under there. You know what Jesus would say to, to me? He'd say, you hypocrite. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. You know that it's going to rain and you make provision for the rain, but you don't know how to interpret spiritual things. Do you understand the spiritual condition that we're living in right now? Do you understand the urgency of the moment that we're living in right now? That's what Jesus would say to me, not to you, okay? I understand that I need to park my grill because I need to prepare myself for what I know is coming. And do you know what's coming? Do you have any inkling or any idea? You should You should be in touch with things when you see hopelessness rise, when you see sin abound, when you see people who are desperate, more and more desperate, when you see divisions coming in, and not to mention, you know, um, natural uh, disasters in various places, are you asleep? Are you awake? And do you understand the season in which we live? It's one thing to put the grill in so the grill's protected, and it's another thing to say the moment is not going to be here forever. There are 5,000 people listening to Jesus that day. That's a momentous event. And that moment is not going to be there forever. There is a moment in time that Jesus has these people in this place before him, and the disciples say, send them away, and Jesus says, you give them something to eat. What he's doing is he's given a little miracle to every single person who was faithful to be there at that moment. He's given a little miracle, and I believe that God does that for us. I don't think that God operates on command. You can't come to him and say, God, show me a sign, and I'll believe in you. I've seen people do that, and I've never seen it happen. I've never seen God jump because somebody says jump or uh, do a miracle because somebody says do a miracle. A prayer like this, God, if you're real, will you help me? That he will answer. But somebody demanding that God do it their way, he just resists stuff like that. Having said that, almost everybody that comes to the Lord is experiencing miracles, either on a small basis or on a large basis. Some of you guys came to the Lord because he did a miracle. And he wants to do something in these people's lives, in the whole mass of them, the whole 5,000 of them that have heard his word and seen him preach. He wants to do something for every single one of them. He wants to provide them a meal. He says, you give them something to eat. When we understand the urgency of the moment, then we start doing three things. We start preparing. We start... um, uh, expecting. He talks about, um, you know, if the master goes away um, and, uh, and he, he's looking for the servant that is faithful no matter when he comes in. And Jesus said, even if he comes in in the middle of the night, the servant is ready for him. And that's a party like you've never seen before because they were ready. They weren't asleep in their beds. They were ready for him to come back, especially when you hear the shout of the bridegroom and you know that he's coming. Preparation, uh, a sense of expectancy, and then he wants us to put our house in order to receive him, ready to move when he says to move. If you're interested in church growth, the uh, early church is a great example of how to grow a church. And uh, historians looking back on why the church exploded the way that it exploded can point to two, point to two things, among others, but mainly two things. One was their willingness and their ability to undergo persecution without fainting and without failing. Because persecution broke out almost immediately. And if they had bowed to persecution, and if, that, if, if, if they could have been intimidated, it would never have lasted. But the fact that they did not caused them to not just survive, but to flourish. Because people that are around them see that they're paying a dear price for the things that they believe. They don't know whether they believe those things. The people looking at the outside don't know whether they believe the things that the Christians believe, but they know that the Christians believe because they live a lifestyle that shows it, and they willingly give up their lives um, to death if necessary. That was one thing. And then the other thing that caused the, the, uh, the church to explode in numbers, but also in fame and reputation, is their care widows and orphans. Now we live in an an environment that's becoming more and more hostile to children. Whether you understand that or not. We idolize our children. I'm not saying that we don't idolize our children but we are not preparing our children and we are using our children and we are overlooking our children for our own selfish um, uh, ends. And the early church lived in an environment where kids were aborted on a regular basis And the abortions that were done were deadly, not just to the child, but to the the women as well. And it was part of Roman culture that if you couldn't afford a child, that it was your duty to abort the child. But they also lived in an environment that even if that child was born, if it was the wrong sex or if you couldn't afford it or something like that, they would drown them. Socrates and Plato both, both believed in infanticide. They they both taught that it was like the responsible thing to do. And we look at them and think, what backward Romans, but I wonder what they would look at us and say. If our children are inconvenient, if our children don't match our plans for the future, if our children are an impediment to us, God help them. But the early church took children like that, children that they found on the side of the road, and they brought them in, and they adopted them, and they cared for them, and they raised them. And the church grew as a, as, a, as a result of that. When plagues would break out in Rome, everybody would flee the city. The, the, the Christians would stay and care for those who were sick. What if they had the same mentality? Send them away. You know, We're here to preach the gospel. We're here to say, you know, what you want us to say to them. But are we here to lay down our lives? Are we we here to reach deep in our pockets? Are we here to care and to give up our time and give up our resources for people? Is that what we're called to do? And finally, I think the disciples' solution to the crowds was based on a lack of understanding of power. There's a, a new research study conducted on behalf of Compassion International by the Barna Group Um, that shows that a majority of Christians believe that global poverty is a spiritual problem with a financial cure. Let me unpack that for you a little bit. It says uh, a majority of Christians believe that global global poverty is a spiritual problem with a financial cure. Now, do you believe that poverty is a spiritual problem? Do you? Some people do, some people don't. Some people think that poverty is a result of people's own bad decisions. But what are their bad decisions based on? If not, a breakdown in their relationship with God and a lack of wisdom and understanding that comes from heaven. But they believe that it is a spiritual problem with a financial cure. That poverty can be cured by more finances. I hope you don't believe that. But it is something that sucks us in, that causes us to think, here's the solution. And that is one solution. Make no no, uh, mistake. James says, if you see your brother in need and all you can say to him is be warmed and filled and you don't care enough to actually help him, you haven't done the gospel any service. You haven't demonstrated the kingdom of God. If you have something to give, you give. But that's not the solution to poverty. The solution to poverty is a spiritual solution, and that spiritual solution has to be dealt with spiritually. This is a quote from David uh, Kinneman, uh, president of the Barna Group. He says, Though many Christians may agree that extreme poverty is a problem that requires both spiritual intervention as well as financial investment, most people do not currently see options for action beyond donating money or volunteering, what's left out of that? Donating money and volunteering. What more can we do as a church? Say it fast and pray. Shortly before this, when they came back and they were reporting to Jesus all the things that they had done, um, there was a person that had, a mother or father that, uh, that approached Jesus and said, you know, you've got to help me. My son is, um, is demon-possessed. And he said, and I brought him to your disciples, and they couldn't do anything for him. And Jesus cast the demon out. And the disciples were like, that was a really tough case. We tried. Why couldn't we? And Jesus answered him and said, this only comes out with prayer and fasting. This is not something you can do off the top of your head. This is not something that you can address out of your own strength, even out of your own spiritual strength, if you have not sought the Lord, if you not have not have have not made Him first, if you have not spent time in concentrated attention before Him. It's not a game. It's not easy. And it's not something that everybody can just Decide to do and do. You've got to pay the price. And he's inviting us now to pay the price. Because there are people right now, and Carlton's video uh, is such a great example of some of the things. Have you seen what Carlton sees in our community? Have you seen that? Have you seen drug use? Have you seen um, uh, prostitution and sex trafficking? Have you seen those things? Have you seen deep divisions in our community? Have you seen them? Have we seen them? Have our eyes been open to them? Are we exposing ourselves to the the real needs that are in our community? The things that break Jesus' heart. I guarantee you, man, if there's a child being trafficked for sex in our city, his heart is breaking for that person. If there's a mom who just found out that she's pregnant and doesn't know what to do, and she's considering abortion, his heart is breaking for that woman. If there are people who are, who are being cast and looked down on because of their, uh, because of their um, uh, race, or because of their culture, God's heart is breaking for those people. Do we see that? Do we even see what our brother sees? And why is he seeing that? Just because he's exposed to it. Just because he lives there. Just because He has has set Himself to make uh, relationships. He's made a relationship with me. We're about as different as we can be on some level, and on other levels, we are absolutely brothers. Absolutely brothers. Do we see the need that's there? And if we do see the need, are we saying, let somebody else take care of them? Let somebody else do it. Listen, the whole weight of the thing doesn't fall on you, but part of It does. You're not going to solve the whole thing by yourself, but you don't have to solve it by yourself. You only have to lift your part. You only have to contribute your part. You only have to do your part, which is probably not going to amount to a whole lot of money or a whole lot of time, but it's essential that we give what we have. It's essential that we give what we have. Most Christians do not see prayer and fasting as legitimate disciplines to address the problem of global poverty. While survey research cannot reveal casual relation, causal relationships, sorry, it may be that this neglect to the spiritual responsibility of the church to fight global poverty in turn affects people's desires to give of their time and money. What he's saying there is, That if I was really involved in prayer, then I would be involved in the follow-up actions that come after prayer, which is to give. When people are, and this happened many times lately, when people go through really difficult times, grief, um, a terrible diagnosis, or whatever, everybody cares about them, and everybody wants to help, you know? And and, And we just don't know how to help. You know what you say? You say, I don't know what to say or I don't know what to do, listen, do something. Make them a meal. That's what I tell them. I say, people want to help. And if if making a meal makes them feel like that they're helping in some way, it's a gift that you're giving them to make a meal. Go and sit with them or sit with their kids. Don't just say, if you need anything, call. I've been there. The last thing on earth I'm going to do is burden somebody else with something. But if you say, here's an envelope, I'm giving you $1,000, I know that you have extra expenses, I want to help. Maybe not you, maybe your Sunday school class, or maybe your small group, something. And again, I've been on the receiving end of that, I can tell you. And especially when it comes like anonymously, because then you're thinking, maybe it was David, you know, that was the answer to my prayer. I don't know who it was. All I know that is, it came from the Lord and somebody heard and somebody gave. He's not expecting us to do all of it. But He is expecting us to fast and to pray and to make it a priority of our lives before Him. And our actions will follow that or should. Lack of understanding of the nature of, their, of spiritual power. This is from uh, Scott uh, Todd, um, who is an um, executive vice president uh, with Compassion International. He says, The trouble is with our th- theology of power. We simply do not comprehend the power within us. We're quick to say that we have no power, but that is false humility. We can end global poverty, but only through constant prayer Leaning not on our own understanding. We are praying with our sleeves rolled up. Man, I love that. Man, I love that. We are praying with our sleeves rolled up as we draft a strategy to get to work. That's how we will end global poverty. Now, I know there's some people that immediately when they see that end global poverty, well, Jesus said, the poor you will have with you always. Listen. Listen. If I'm going to set my sights on something, I'm going to set it high. I'm going to set it high. There are organizations, we have technology at our disposal now that no generation has ever had. What if we brought spiritual power and take advantage of the technologies that are out there to really address some of these problems that we have had? Clean water. Most of you guys have heard of Charity Water. Charity Water's whole goal is to bring clean water to everybody on the planet. How are you going to do that? Well, God has given him favor with leaders in organizations like Google and like um, Apple. And he goes and speaks to these organizations. And these people are contributing incredible amounts of money to solve that problem. And this guy is a believer who God rescued out of the um, uh, out of the uh, uh, he was uh, running a nightclub in New York City, a really successful nightclub. And God rescued him out of that. And when he came out, he said, I'm going to do something for God. And this is a guy who just set his goal really high. He's going to he wants to provide clean water for every person on the planet. Is that possible? Is that possible? That's it. With God, all things are possible. Now listen, that's not my passion, but my passion is seeing me and us vitally involved in this community. That's my passion, and I believe we can do that. I believe that every single one of us during this season that the Lord is calling us, we can do some things corporately, but every single one of us is going to find a passion that we love that's not inside the walls of the church that is in the community, that is getting us on a constant basis in front of people who don't know God or who are discouraged and broken or who have been hurt in the church. He's going to get us in front of people that, that we are not normally in front of. And part of that is going to be meeting needs, but that's not the point of the whole thing. Amen? The point of the whole thing is bringing Jesus near to them. Just bringing Jesus near the people that are in our community we're going to pray and I'm just going to invite you today uh, let's all stand together will you do this with me will you roll up your sleeves if your sleeves are already rolled up you can roll them up a little bit higher God wants us to take a step. Amen? Are you capable of taking a step? Show me that you're capable of making a step this morning by stepping down here, okay? Will you just step down here to the altar? Can we just all gather up here with our sleeves rolled up? And pray with our sleeves rolled up. Pray with your heart on the altar. Pray saying, God, I know that you're calling me. I know that you have a heart for all people. I know that your solution is not to send people away. Bring your loaves and fishes to Him this morning. And let's just pray. Let's just lift our hearts up to the Lord. We're going to sing a chorus and uh, we're going to worship and we're going to pray. As we've taken this step, it's a step of faith. We're saying yes to the Lord. We're saying yes to that call. We're saying we don't want to be like the disciples who only see problems, but we want to see the opportunity for God to move in a Mighty way, in a powerful way, at this time. Thank you for it. Let's
3: just open our hearts before the Lord this morning. Brother Joe has touched on a couple of really big issues, and I know if you're like me, you were sitting there thinking, wow, sex trafficking, abortion, uh, world hunger, clean water for the whole, and you're thinking, what can I do?
0: We have people in our congregation that are addressing just about all of those things, so if you feel intimidated by that, (laughs) there's people, brothers and sisters, that are standing right next to you that are not intimidated by it at all. That's That's right. right. sorry.
3: And so you're sitting there listening to that and you're like, well, where do I even begin? Like, where do I even start? And I just really felt like the Lord was impressing upon me. It's like the same question that Moses asked the Lord when the Lord was gonna send him to Egypt, you know, like how, like where do I even begin? And you remember what the Lord asked Moses? He said, what's in your hand? So I really feel like maybe that's what the Lord is asking you today as you're like looking at these big issues and you're like, man, I want to run to the battle. I want to answer the call. I don't even know where to begin though. Well, the Lord is saying to you today, what's in your hand? What are your giftings? What are your passions? What are your opportunities? What what are your resources? What's in your hand right now that he's given you that you can begin with right now? And I promise you that if you'll do that, if you'll just simply take what's in your hand and give it to him as an offering, he will breathe upon your offering and he will bless it and he will use you in ways that you never even thought possible. So let's just give our hearts to him this morning. Amen.
0: Thank you. Lord. we thank you for the miracle of the body of christ thank you lord that you have put your spirit within each one of us lord thank you lord as we hold hands today lord as we say there's no division here lord there's no competition here lord there's nothing lord jesus that your spirit is doing uh, in our midst lord that causes us to work against one another or separate from one another but that we have the the uh the, the assurance lord that you have knit our hearts together in Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord Jesus, this unity, this love, Lord, would be something, Lord, that we would be just enthusiastic about spreading to everybody that we come in contact with. I thank you for this place, Lord, but there's a bunch of empty seats here. And I know that like the, the master who sent out his servants, Um, to the highways and byways, to to the city. He said, go get the halt and the lame and the blind and bring them in. And they came back to him and they said, we brought them all in, but there's still lots of room. And he said, well, then go out into the countryside. Go out into the highways and to the byways and bring them in. Oh, God, we've got empty spots here. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you put a passion within us, Lord, to invite in our friends and our neighbors and our relatives. And not only that, Lord, but rank strangers especially those that we see. And the first thing that we notice about them, Lord, is that they're broken. Or the first thing that we notice about them is that they're in need. Oh God, that we would bring them, Lord, to your feast, to your table, Lord, to your banquet, and that your banquet would be full, Lord Jesus, with the rejoicing of the hungry, Lord. That your banquet, Lord, would be full with the rejoicing of the broken that have been healed. Oh God. God with the captives that have been set free, God. Thank you for it, Lord. And I just pronounce a blessing on your people, Lord. I just seal your word in our hearts, Lord, that we would remember who we are in you, Lord, that our identity wouldn't be based, Lord, on anything else except who you say that we are, Lord. We look forward, Lord Jesus, to seeing what amazing things you're going to do through us in this community. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.